Good morning. I'm Casey. My husband, Josh Ross, is the preaching minister here at Sycamore View. He's out of town this weekend. He is in Kansas City leading and facilitating a uh, church staff retreat, loving, encouraging, strengthening them so they can turn around and serve the church that, that they lead in Kansas City. So he is not here this morning, and we have a guest speaker. So um, it is my honor and privilege to introduce our speakers this morning, um, but it's really hard to do, not because I don't know them, but because I know them so well. You see, they are fabulous fabulous people, and I don't know how to describe them in five minutes. It's just really, really difficult. They're one of those great duos like Abbott and Costello and um, burgers and fries and um, peanut butter and jelly. Like that's the kind of duo you're getting this morning on this stage. So this morning we have Kyle and Cindy, uh, my friends, which are fabulous in and of their own selves, but then together, I mean, the kingdom of God goes nuts over this couple. So I'm very thankful for them. They grew up right here at Sycamore View, as was mentioned before. Um, Kyle Taylor um, grew up here and went on to do amazing things in the artistic world, continues to do those. You'll see in our back two corners, two paintings, that he painted. Um, you may have seen a mural of um, Mark Gasol as a matador. He did that. Um, he's incredible. He does stuff all the time, whether he spent months on a project and I say, wow, or he just draws something on the back of a napkin and I say, wow, this guy's so incredibly talented and not just in that, many other ways. Right now, he is the artistic director for city leadership that many of you know as Choose 901. So you probably own a shirt that he designed. That is Kyle Taylor. Um, his beautiful wife, Cindy Cogbill, is here speaking with him, and she is the programming director for the Levitt Shell. All that amazing music you hear on the Levitt Shell lawn, she goes and finds it, books them, and brings them in. So she is a walking audiophile. She loves all kinds of music. The kind of music you love, she probably loves it. Um, so she, she loves music, but she's also just a dreamer, a visionary, just creative through and through both of them. Um, a little over a year ago, they had a baby girl, Naomi, and so their family is here visiting with us today. But again, they grew up here. Many of you taught them, held their hand, told them about Jesus. You were there for the tears, you were there for the smiles, and they're here to share with us how they see God and faith in the arts. And so for you creative people out there, you are going to love this Sunday morning. So I want to go ahead and call them up here. They can come on up, and I'm going to pray over them before they speak. Lord, when in the beginning, you opened your mouth and creativity spilled forth. You said one word and the, the planets were set in motion. And then you turned and you sculpted Adam and Eve out of the dust. You went on to write the most beautiful love story that words could ever speak. You brought your children out of Egypt and set them in freedom. And you go on 
to create again and again, even still today. Every morning you create. You create restoration out of brokenness. And I'm so thankful to be one of your masterpieces. God, I, I pray that you will pour through Cindy and Kyle the gift of preaching this morning. That you would give them words to speak and that we would have open hearts and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you want that? Oh, come on. All right. Do you want to share that one? Yeah, we can share. We're good at sharing. All right. Wow. Thanks, Casey. Um, I didn't feel any pressure before Casey got up here, and now it is on. Um, Thanks, Casey. So uh, Casey kind of stole my intro, which is great because it reminded me that my first job in the arts and as a music curator was not actually in 2004. It stemmed back early in the 90s. Um, How many of you went to the Milan, Tennessee church camp? Mm. That's great. I know at least four of you heard my morning show. Um, because Laura Hacker uh, and I had the greatest radio morning show that was ever produced in Milan, Tennessee at 6 a.m. Monday through Saturday at Sycamore View Church Camp. We actually um, ran into somebody at the zoo the other day for a mile, and we were like, oh, man, is the ice cream place still there? And they're like, no, it just changed ownership. They knocked it down. It's a huge, you know, like kerfuffle right now in town. And we're like, man, it's terrible. We spent about 25 minutes with that family talking about <laughs> talking Milan, Tennessee about ice Milan, cream. Talking about Milan, yeah. The Buford Ellington 4-H camp, yep. Um, well, my name's Cindy Cogville. Um, I'm married to this amazing gentleman, Kyle Taylor. And as Casey said, we grew up here. Um, we've been on the stage many times. We were, we were baptized here. We have our elected uncles and aunts that we are also happy to call our brothers and sisters who helped plant these crazy and amazing seeds in us that reminded us that we were created and we were made in his image and because of that we could do anything there's a there's this piece of us that makes us what we consider a little bit different than others because people say we think a little bit differently you know what we do Um, and we're proud of it and we've learned what the what the guidelines are for it, what God calls us to and what he asks of us in it because he's planted that in us. Um, We want to just introduce who we are a little bit and what we have the opportunities to do in our lives. And then we want to walk you through how how God utilizes us for him. Um, I'm the artistic director of a space called The Levitt Shell in Memphis, Tennessee, where we put on over 50 free shows a year to promote community through free music. We use music as the gateway to pull people together and start conversations. My background is in the music industry, which was not as mission-centric, but I learned a lot and a lot of tools were used. But for today, we're gonna talk about mission-centric creativity from my standpoint. And uh, my name's Kyle Taylor, and I'm a uh, graphic designer by trade. I'm an artist by passion. Um, As Casey said, I've painted lots of murals around town and done a variety of work. the the thing that you know sort of made this this ask so interesting is that Josh asked us to talk about um, how our work in the arts has affected our faith and vice versa. And uh, my eyeballs probably got as big as saucers when he asked me because I was like, I have no idea. Like that's the thing I struggle with every day. I mean, I wake up thinking about that. I go to bed thinking about it. I'm driving in my car thinking about it. Um, and initially, you know, we were trying to kind of come up with how we were going to approach this. 
Um, we went about it one way. There was a whole other uh, sermon that we wrote that we're not going to give today, uh, and that was probably what's printed in your bulletin. It's called a new dead tree. We are not talking about a new dead tree today. Um, but, so that uh, was. That, but we can reference it later if they just want to. That'll be another. Yeah. Experience. That'll be another talk. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to talk about today, the title that probably wouldn't have fit in your bulletin was. A brief discussion about how our work in the arts has affected our faith and vice versa. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Yeah, so, you know, not to to bore you to tears or to turn this into some type of dissertation, we're going to try to boil this down and really come at it from a very personal standpoint uh, from how, um, you know, the the types of work that we do in the community. Um, I think. Cindy could kind of, you know, launch us into that just by asking one, you know, kind of simple question, you know, what is a creative? What is a creative? Um, So most of our lives we've thought a creative is an artist. It's a painter, it's a sculptor, he or she is a musician, a chef. I mean, they make something, you can touch it, it's tangible, it's made for you, and it's made for you to be able to express yourself through their medium. I'm a firm believer there's a lot more to a creative than that. If God made us in his image and he's the first creator, we're all creators. Um, I always bring this up whenever given the opportunity to speak because I feel like we're all engineers. We all communicate in a way that we have to look at something a little bit differently because we're talking to someone else that's not ourselves. They're not in your head. So getting it from here to here makes you a creative. We're professional creatives. Um, That's really the only thing that sets us apart. The definition of a professional is someone pays you to do something. Therefore, we're professional creatives. But what's going under the understanding of how the world looks at it is someone who makes beautiful things that affect you. Mm -hmm. Kyle, what's a creative? (laughs) Yeah, so um, A lot of times I just generally boil it down to one of two things. Um, If you exercise any type of ingenuity or um, finesse, Um, you know, there was a wise man that once said, you know, uh, (laughs) he's used so many opportunities to embarrass me. I was like, yes, I got one today. (laughs) Any guesses what year this photo is from? 1981. 1981. No one got that. All right. Yeah. No. But I, I love this. This is something Dad used to say, and I like. I like churched it up into like this really clean quote that could go in a history book. Um, you haven't truly met a challenge until you've had to hang a sheetrock ceiling by yourself. Great show of hands. Who's ever hung a sheetrock ceiling by themselves? It's hard. Um, it's really hard. Um, and yeah, it will definitely test your uh, patience and, and ingenuity. But to take that a step further, too, um, you know, not everybody can, uh, can hide the seams in a sheetrock wall just right. Not everybody can, like, sand it the right amount of times. Not everybody can, like, hide all that stuff. And I'm telling you, like, when I first moved back to Memphis, I worked with a couple of contractors that were also painters and artists. And we used to just nerd out when we would go out on job sites and just talk about how, man, those are the guys that are real artists. Like the ones that can, where's oh, Dewey McCoy's here this morning? Man, a good miter joint. I mean, come on, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just this, the, stuff that, the stuff that we just we take for granted, the, you know, the cleanliness, the, the ingenuity, and the finesse. Not everybody can do that. And so that, those are the things that if you exercise any one of those two things well in your, 
in your respective field. Man, you're an artist in my book. One of the interesting things is my job is to look at people like Kyle or to look at a performing artist, a songwriter, or a band, or in my other hat, to look at someone who hangs sheetrock or wallpaper mm -hmm. and identify their talents and see where they're best used in the community. Uh, that's a really hard role because it's so important. You've got to get to an end product, but the process to get you there has so much creativity in exactly the steps before you ever see the end result. Um, one of the things I really love getting to live with an artist and grow with an artist and have conversations is, guys, we were prepped to be parents because we didn't sleep before. Um, we just talked all night. It was really sad. Um, we didn't have a television. We would lay awake and go, I have an idea. Me too. How are we going to do it? And, um, and then it was eight hours later and it was time to go to work. And uh, half those ideas have come to fruition. The other half have not met the world yet, but they mm. will. Um, so when Naomi came, really the only change was we didn't have time to work on all our ideas. We're working on one idea. Um, <laughs> thanks, Naomi. I'm glad you're taking a nap back there. Yeah. Um, but I love talking about the process. Um, I approach the process differently because I'm working with other people's art. My art is curating their art for you. Kyle's process is completely different because it starts from nothing. It's not fed by another person. Or is it? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, why is the process important? A lot of times, you, you, you might have heard that when you're talking to your friends that are artists, uh, you heard it in a documentary, or hear it from a docent at a museum or something, that, well, it's all about the process, it's all about the process. And you're like, yeah, but like, what does that mean? I think you could just kind of take process out and replace it with story. Uh, I love uh, art movies, art documentaries. Uh, you might have seen uh, Pollock, uh, Ed Harris plays Pollock. It's a great film. Um, but what's fun about that is, you know, what, what made Pollock's work so incredible, it wasn't the fact that he was like the first guy to ever like splatter paint on the ground, you know, on a canvas. It was that he was doing it on the ground in a barn in upstate New York by himself, uh, while a lot of the work from that era was being made in these clean, controlled studio environments, you know, and uh, it just, it was so, it was so different. Uh, and, and people struggled with whether or not, you know, what he was doing was, uh, was of worth. Um, you know, what I love about this, and this photo is great, I think it's like a Time, you know, one of Time magazines, like 100 photos of all time or something, um, is uh, if you look at his work and even his paintings in different museums, you can actually see cigarette ash sometimes in his paintings because he was like, you see the cigarette, you know, dangling off of his, off his lip while he's doing this, and it's because he was in it. It was a dance. Is, it really wasn't about the painting. It was about making the painting. It was about the, the lines that he drew and the way he danced around it. That, that was really what it was all about. It was about the process. Um, another one, uh, Michelangelo. This is actually Charlton Heston. This is not Michelangelo. Um, <laughs> Michelangelo lived before electricity, I believe, so there really weren't uh, photos of Michelangelo. Um, this is actually cool. This is from a, a movie that my granddad uh, gave me when I was a kid called The Agony and the Ecstasy. I'll never forget this. He walked up. Uh, Mom's probably helped me tell the story before, but like Grandpa just like recorded mo movies. <laughs> he came up upstairs one day and goes, you should watch this, and just walked off. I was like, okay. I was like seven, eight years old. I don't know, um, but I loved it. But well, there's, there's legend about Michelangelo that he actually approached marble 
vastly different than any other artist of his time. Marble is a very uh, uh, finicky type material. There's a lot of crevices and fissures in it that uh, if you hit it just wrong, the whole, you know, the whole thing will come apart. Um, and it was said, legend, and that's what I love about Michelangelo too, he was around at the time when legend was more of a thing. We don't really know a lot of facts about him, but there's lore around him, and I think that's so cool. So legend has it that uh, Michelangelo approached marble with reckless abandon, like came at it with a chisel and a hammer like he was a lumberjack. And I think that is so cool, because if, I'm sure some of you that have traveled overseas and stuff, you've seen the the Pieta, if I pronounced it right, or the, uh, or the David, uh, to think that you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours on something so delicate, and he started off with it just going at it, you know, like, just recklessly. I think that's so cool. It's about the process. Third guy I'll throw out, and it's just, I've always been a big fan of his, is Chuck Close. Um, and the thing about Chuck Close that I found so interesting is uh, he actually suffers from, like, a number of conditions um, he's, he does most of his paintings now. That last piece that's up there, like these are enormous paintings. That one's not even that big compared to some of, the, some of his other ones. But he does a lot of his painting from a wheelchair. Uh, he's dyslexic. Uh, prosopagnosia is something that's called face, uh, facial blindness. He has a difficult time seeing faces. Um, but I love this. This is like one of my favorite quotes of all time. The advice I like to give young artists, or really anybody who will listen to me, is not to wait around for inspiration. Inspiration's for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and go to work. I love that. I mean, how, I mean, isn't that so relatable? Like, just in general, like, you're not always inspired to go to work. Like, you get up in the morning, you put your shoes on, you know, it's raining outside. Like, I don't want to go to work today. But a lot of times, when we, in the different studies that I've read and other artists, um, we talk about inspiration as showing up. Uh, catching you working. You talk about the muse. Uh, the muse finds you working. And so those are, those are things I like to think about uh, when I think about uh, other people's processes that inspire me. When it comes to my own process, I think, of, uh, I think about prayer. Art for me is, in recent years has, has kind of become a prayer. Um, when I'm really uh, in the zone, uh, I'm sure Dr. Tim, you could kind of speak to that, like when you are when you're in the zone, um, the zone is not always there. Uh, sometimes you have to work to get it. Sometimes you find it kind of by happenstance. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a peaceful place where a lot of times uh, I hear titles. I hear uh, truisms. Um, I'm reminded of things that, I'm forgot that I've forgotten. I am told things that I should probably be thinking about or doing. Um, it's a very meditative space. What is, what's interesting about that, though, and it sounds really enticing or sounds really beautiful, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be incredible to, to, to have a practice, to have a prayer practice, to have a meditative practice that you could experience that in every day, but it's not always like that. It's difficult to get there, and sometimes I find myself faced with the reality that I've piled on so many like egotistical layers of myself. Uh, self-doubt, self-inflation, whatever, that I have a difficult time actually getting to that place. And I, I just, I, I wrote this down last night as just kind of a question to pose. Like, have you ever found it almost times too difficult to pray because you had too much to pray about? It's just like, what, you know, like where do I start? 
Um, it's not that uh, I can't go sit down and, and talk to God. He's readily there. Um, he's waiting for me to listen. He wants us to talk to him. But I don't even know. I can't even sit down. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a great passage um, at the end of a very famous chapter in 1 Corinthians. I love sometimes when I look up verses, I try to look up like, I look them up from like different uh, translations because there's, there's so many different ways to approach scripture sometimes, you know, uh, and they, they focus on different things. Um, now we see things, this is 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now we see things imperfectly, like a puzzling reflection in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. I also love this one uh, down here from the English Standard. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Uh, when you're staring at a, at a blank canvas, or staring at something that you've spent hours and hours and hours on, it's kind of interesting to think about it as a mirror. It's a reflection of yourself. It's a reflection of your experiences. Everything that we do in life is the result of sort of what we know about ourselves and know of the world. And what I hear in this passage is that it's all just a dim reflection. It's a dim reflection of our image that has been created in God's image. But one day, it's such a crazy idea to think about like living in an interrogation room and looking in a one-way mirror, you know? And like one day, like, the light in that back room comes on. <laughs> like one day we will be fully known as we've been known all along by God. It's so incredible. Um, I could just kind of dwell on that for a minute, but I'm not. <laughs> Leave it there. Um, so I, I've just taken a minute and kind of bore my soul a little bit. Um, I kind of want to hand it back over to Cindy. Uh, Cindy, so we, you know, as Cindy was kind of alluding to earlier, we, you know, we, we share in each other's struggles in our respective work. Um, when you make things and you put them out into the community, when you put them out into the world, and you put it up on a wall, uh, you put it on social media, um, it becomes subject to scrutiny. Um, I would love to hear you uh, talk about, uh, in front of all of these people, <laughs> uh, just tell me about some of the wins and losses. Like, tell me what it's been like to, you know, to have done this work that you do, curating this work for people, and how people have accepted it. Um, that's, that's honestly a loaded question. Um, we were walking, when Josh called us, we were walking down the street, and Kyle said, oh, man, what's the, like, name one moment in time where you were just like, aha, this is why I am living my life's work right now. And I was like, you obviously have never met your wife um, because everything is my favorite. Everything is my aha moment. And I literally have been that way my entire life. Um, and I mean it. It's altruistically caring about what your passions are. Uh, like I said, I used to work in the for-profit field, and my aha moments were when someone got signed to a record label, or someone got a booking agent because of my work, or an amazing manager, or an international international touring international tour that was going to make their make their life. And the truth was, you could say, "Check, I've done it. It's it's awesome. I have succeeded. I am qualified. Grad school was worth it. Thanks, mom and dad." Um, 
But then I changed it up and I said, I want to work somewhere else and it's mission centric, which means that it's never done, which we can correlate to in our lives and the path that we've chosen to live. Um, so every year I'm tasked with how do we grow our community and diversity through music? How do we create a safe space Again, where the world sees it as, this is a cool music venue, it's so great, the music is wonderful. By the way, it is great and it is wonderful. <laughs> you um, should come, all the time. Always. Um, but how do we keep them safe so that it opens them up and they get to the next layer? Well, first of all, there's a lot of accountability in that. And it's a lot of responsibility. It's, it's cool to book bands. I could book bands all day long. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of bands that write me to play the Levitt Shell. Um, Casey is really patient. She listens to me anguish over this day in and day out because I have to have the perfect mix or else Memphis, Tennessee is not going to get what it needs. And I really do. I cry about it when a band pulls out. Every season you're making a mixtape. You know, you're I making am. a mixtape for your boyfriend, Memphis. But your boyfriend of Memphis has different needs. Mm -hmm. And my process is different. I spend a lot of time, of course, I have the relationships, which I'm grateful for from my past jobs. But I spend a lot of my time asking the city what's it, what it needs. Mm -hmm. A lot of time with children, a lot of time with teachers, a lot of time with community centers asking, hey, are people hungry? Do they have access to education? Are we looking at broken families? Do you have the right to vote? Do you know, are you registered to vote? Do you know why it's important to vote? What are your fundamental needs? And then we're gonna use this giant cool space as an underlying way to get you what you need. No pressure, right? Um, especially no pressure if you grew up in a place that told you you could do it all. You could do anything and we can affect lives. You're, your, your time's turned up because you just want to do it. Like, you're called to it. It's in you. Um, so I do. I take it really seriously. And about, honestly, we only do, we're only supposed to do 50 nights a year. I will spend every bit of money we ever get. So it's usually about 62. And one day I hope it's 365 shows. Um, but I come home pumped after every one. There's not a time where I'm not sitting on the wing and I come back and I'm like, Kyle, it was amazing. That was the best show ever. And he's like, really? Thursdays was. And I was like, no, our sound engineer and I had a breakthrough today. We're talking on a whole different space. Or our intern, they saw it. Everyone integrated it and they ran the video show themselves. Oh yeah, and the band was great too. Or the band sat down and talked to the kids for 45 minutes afterwards and ended up giving them a little drum lesson and hanging out. But the truth is, guys, it's not always like that. It's when you take the biggest risk that you have to remember the process was important. Um, several years ago, if, if you do know me, you know I have a love for Southern Africa. It's deep. Um, I would go back tomorrow for the rest of my life if the opportunity came. Yeah. Um, so he I wants decided- to take it here. <laughs> I just, I, it's great here, but I love it. Oh, I love it. And um, so I had the opportunity to bring an artist over and uh, he was a revolutionary. It was a little bit bold. Um, 
but I thought that'll build the diversity on our audience. So I spent the time going out to Binghampton and to some surrounding zip codes where I know there's a large refugee artist um, population and I invited them. I said, come on, come on and be my friends. Like, I'll sit with you, I'll be with you. I'll, don't worry, like you don't have access, I'll send people to pick you up. Like, what do you need? So we had about 300 Nigerians in the audience and we knew it was great. Usually there's about 4,000 people, to be honest. Uh, we knew it was great and we knew we had hit that space because people were selling things out of their coolers. Um, and that, you know, it's a little bit different for our climate, but I was like, yes, that's when you know people are here because that's one thing that hap has happened a lot in my travels is you buy a lot of um, a random drink in a Ziploc bag with a straw out of a cooler on oh, the side yeah. of the road in Southern Africa. So it just means you've, like, I got a little cocky. I thought, mission served. Well, the artist got on stage and he violated contract in eight different places. Um, I've never heard language that I will never repeat. Um, man, I've never heard language like I heard that evening. I was in mid-conversation and it was like a record scratch. I remember I was in the back of the audience like having a conversation with a friend and I was like, did you hear that? Did he just say what I think he said? So, um, yeah. Yeah, so I fly over the audience, run through the backstage, pull this like six foot four large man down to my size and said, did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I said, he can't do that. And he says, he can say whatever he wants. And I said, not by my contract, he can't. And I was like, you have 30 seconds to pull him off stage or I'm going to go get your check and I'm going to rip it up in front of your face. And he says... I'll talk to him. And I said, no, there's no talking to him. You tell him. So he goes and he tells him, um, guess what? He didn't listen. Did yeah. not care. At, you know? at some point we scrambled in the back. I remember the three of us were in the green room writing copy for a disclaimer to put on screen to basically just cover any liability and the fact that what was happening was clearly not family friendly. So there, there are a few things. I had this... I had this vision, it didn't work. I'm now in the middle of it, but what, will what good will come out of it in the end? Because there's always something that can come. Number one, I saved a lot of money because I didn't have to pay that artist. <laughs> um, number two, I had to pay it in my manpower to cover up what happened, not true. Um, but we made this declarative statement that says, we as the Levitt Shell do not endorse what was said here today which is huge, it's bold. It's bold to stand up for your creativity and say, I missed the mark because I took a chance. Yeah. But you can be creative in how you get there as long as you're consistent. And we said, we do not agree with, we do not agree or disagree with what was said today. What we do stand by is that we promised to you that we would create a family-friendly environment. It gets better. 288,000 people in reach on Facebook that night. You would think they said, thanks, Cindy, I'm so glad you protected my kids' ears. No, they said, I hate you, Cindy. They said censorship. You have censored my family yep. and told me how to run my family. Yep. And it became this overarching battle. And I, I cried, first of all, and I prayed. And I prayed a lot. I prayed, what am I doing? How am I communicating? How am I listening? Am I censoring? 
And then yeah. I remembered, no, because consistency is important. The Levitt Shell, who I get to be an ambassador for and the curator for, and honestly, it does fall on me, does not tell people how to censor their family. I got to choose a way in which we say, this is our definition of family friendly. Our contract reads that we will not give you sexually illicit material. We will not give you political propaganda. We will not give you curse words. How you choose to raise your family is yours, but as far as me and my parameters of family friendly and my creativity can flourish in this, this is what we define it as. Yeah. And so now I have realms that I've created for my creativity so that I can keep people safe underneath that umbrella. But it wasn't until I got hit with adversity in it that I was able to say, communicate something I already thought had been understood because it was in a contract already, and I was raised by someone who really believes in the contracts. Uh, I knew how to enforce the contract. What I had forgotten is to say, hey, Memphis, Tennessee, we love you, and you can trust us in the process, and this is why. Such a delicate line. I mean, and it goes back to the original thing of how, how has our faith affected our work in the arts? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how someone else would have handed, handled that situation. You know, we, we laid in bed that night reading countless Facebook comments and just the, ah, uh, you know, people just like railing on this thing. And, you know, what do you do with when you go, but I did the right thing. Like, I, I was well-intentioned, you know. Um, and it, so it begs the question sometimes, especially uh, for those of you who are creatives in some capacity, who have always dreamed of uh, taking it into a professional setting, um, those are the types of things that sometimes you can be faced with, and you just ask yourself, like, why do we do this? Like, why are we even, why is this what we do? And it's just simple. We, we feel called to it. Um, at times when it's rough, you know, it feels like our, our plight, um, but regardless, um, it's what we feel we were fashioned for. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, when we were, we were walking that day and talking about the sermon, and I said, Kyle, you make beautiful things. I curate beautiful things to be judged on. I'm getting judged for someone else's work. That's crazy. Um, and he was like, well, then why are you doing it? I was like, how can you not? What else would I do? What else would yeah. we be doing? We, we love it. We love the process. We love the outcome. We, we love the fact that anything's possible. I mean, this world was created. That's, inc that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of my favorite verses. There's actually 41 times in the Bible where God speaks about creativity. A lot of it is about him as a creator. Um, but I love when he says that there are creatives present, there are artisans present, and that they are, they're, he makes them legit. Mm -hmm. First Corinthians, I mean, it's actually, is it, it's I think Colossians. it was Colossians. Yeah. I think it's, well, you copy, when you're an illustrator, you copy and paste stuff, you know, yeah. edit it. It's Colossians yeah. 3.23. Yeah. Um, but it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Guys, I can tell you, when you decide to go with an abstract job and you try to come back and you're 
Here's a good example. Let's say you're 23 years old and you go to church with your parents and you come back and people go, what are you doing for a living? And you're like, I'm an artistic director. Oh, that's great. Um, it's awesome to have crazy jobs. It's awesome to not know exactly where you're going tomorrow other than the fact to know that God is putting your feet in front of each other and that he'll, if you ask him, he gives you the guidelines for the process. I love talking about my job. Um, I won't, I love talking about our lives. Uh, I won't bore you because I can and I'm happy to do it if you like coffee um, at any point. But I, I do have to do a shameless plug because a lot of people told us that we wouldn't hit our full potential as creatives until we became parents. Mm. And uh, the truth is, I truly believe that. Yeah. One of my, my uh, mentor, my uh, high school art teacher, who I still talk with on a weekly basis, he said, you, you have no idea how your perception of God can change until you become a parent. Um, and that, oof, that is being changed every day. Um, so yeah, there's the question of sort of where do we go from here? So much of our, you know, uh, initial step into this world, initial step into this type of work, uh, began as, uh, solo artists, then we became a band, and then we added another band member. That we're uh, tour managing? Yeah. I call her the architect of chaos. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's changed a bit, but, uh, I want to leave you with something. I want to leave you with a song. Um, we'll be done. And uh, this, is, this is cool because this is a song that uh, I got to share with Cindy early on. Honestly, I don't know where I necessarily came into contact with I it. Can, I can tell you when you shared it with me. Okay. It was at Emily's house when you were dog-sitting, when ah. you were visiting while mm. we were dating. So it's cool because this is a, it's a husband and wife uh, band, and a lot of their music was inspired out of a very traumatic point in their life where they where they lost, um, they lost a child. Um, and uh, you can hear in their music, you can hear over the course of their discography, how their beliefs have shifted. Um, honestly, I don't know uh, if, these, if these folks are believers. I don't know if they're agnostic. I don't know if they're atheist. Um, but they wrote this song, and I can hardly ever listen to it without it uh, choking me up a bit. Um, because they do such an amazing job of taking something so profound, so abstract, why are we here, um, and boiling it down into something that is almost undeniable, um, regardless of your beliefs, regardless of where you sit. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I took a little section out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then, oh, best part. So, uh, Cindy being the incredible partner that she is, she knows I love this band, uh, uh, logs that away, makes it her, one of her missions to get this band at the Shell. A couple years back, uh, I had the opportunity to blubber in front of this guy. <laughs> like, you're using it so much to have no idea. I totally did that backstage. Um, ain't nothing wrong with a grown man crying. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, this is just, this, this song means a lot to us. This band means a lot to us. Um, yeah, do you have anything you want to say about it? I do. I think that um, for us, you know, each, each of us has a, a piece of creativity that's either accessible to us as consumers, accessible to us as community, or creativity that we're putting out for other people. Mm. Um, I really love the opportunity that art is so much bigger than us, 
Mm. I mean, it's scriptural. It goes all the way back to the beginning of time so that we have something that we can at least have a conversation with someone about. I was never a parent before. I loved this song before I was a parent. And it hit me to listen to who they were, not necessarily about how it affected me. I pick it up now as a parent and I hear it in a completely different way. I love that art is a living, creativity is a living form, just like scripture. You'll pick it up and you will always be growing with it if you are in it. Um, So I can say that is how my faith affects my creativity and vice versa. Yeah, Um, they're both journeys. My art is constantly changing and, and growing and evolving, and so is my faith. Um, we're both on a journey. You can go ahead and start that song up. And when the angels come, they'll cut you down the metal to see if you're still there. To see if you're still there And underneath your ribs They'll find a heart-shaped locket An old photograph Of you and daddy's arms And then they'll sew you closed And give you back to the water From where we're all born From where we're all And you'll feed the living You'll be a stranger And you'll be a friend You'll be the lover And you'll be the healer You'll be the hero And the tragedy He's talking about when the, when the one-way mirror goes away, right? Like, when the angels come, they'll cut you down the middle to see if you're still there. And underneath their ribs, they'll find a heart-shaped locket with a picture of you in your daddy's arms. It's beautiful. And the thing about that is it's poetic. You know, it's, you know, how, how many, how, how can we talk about uh, God's love for, you know, his, his children in a way that really, really makes you remember that you're a parent and remember that you're a child, you know. Um, and so I just, I love this song. It's always, it's always uh, spoke to me. But man, yeah, thanks for having us this morning and thanks for letting us talk about something abstract. Thank you, you guys. Yeah. You know, I love how the community of faith um, lives and breathes together. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, point A to point B kind of people out there. Let's let's crunch some numbers and get some things as a creative hanging on every word because you know this this is the way I see the world and uh, and I know there's a lot of you out there that uh, can appreciate that and I love that God brings us together as a family uh, to uh, to love on each other. So that's what this next moment is about um, for us. We have people that are uh, prepared to pray with you. Uh, if you'd like prayer this morning, uh, we have people that will be in the back. We have shepherds that will be up in the front. And uh, so you guys can go ahead and take your places, if you will. Um, 
And these are safe people. Um, if you have a prayer request, the only person that would actually, uh, if you want it known to the whole body, would be to come up here. Everyone else is just for you to pray with them and uh, to talk to God about something. And so uh, we invite you to do that. We're going to sing a, a few songs, and then we'll have a prayer to, uh, to end this gathering time and send us into the world. So, uh, so that's all we have left. So uh, if you will, stand with me.